I preached on my favorite parables. And I may have mentioned then that this one in particular is not my favorite. It's, it's my least favorite. I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> now, if I'd have been able to hear it the way Anne told it, maybe I would like it more. But my dislike is so strong that it took me all week. And I really struggled with this reflection. I remember learning this parable as a kid. And I didn't like it then either. It went against everything I had been taught in my family, in my school, in my church, in Sunday school. It didn't make sense. Why would those who have not share? I mean, that's what we're always telling our kids, to be kind and to share. I mean, I did have a colleague in seminary that always told me that she was never going to teach her kids to share. She didn't think it was realistic in the world that we lived in. She said, I'm going to marry my husband, and I'm not going to share him. And we're going to have a house, and we're not going to share that. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, I don't know how that worked out for her, because we've since parted ways, but that's what we're teaching the people around us. And now here is Jesus seemingly telling us the opposite. It just it does not compute. And so they just kind of want to, yeah, that's nice. Let's carry on with our favorites. But just because it doesn't compute doesn't mean it is something that can be ignored. In Psalm 78, we are urged to listen to God's teachings. And that adaptation by Sylvia Purdy is beautiful and helps us to open our hearts and to hear what God is saying. But it misses, it misses a piece of it, I think. And that is the line where the Holy says to us, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings as of old. And now this story is certainly on the darker and more confusing side. Those trying to enter a great celebration, a wedding feast, being excluded by the gatekeeper, essentially, being told, I don't know you. We also have the fact that in this story, it is women being lifted up as the norm here. In so many of the stories and in so much of our society, that's not something that we're used to. We still say things like, hey guys, and all mankind, presuming that maleness is the standard with which everyone should and does identify. And in an era of hashtags such as Me Too, and before that, Yes, All Women, Jesus telling a story centered on women's experiences feels fairly significant. It is a time when women's voices have reached a watershed moment in naming our realities. 
So let's try unpacking this story a bit. First, we have the ten attendants, bridesmaids, virgins in some versions, who are waiting for the wedding party. So in the society in which Matthew writes, they practiced what was called patrilocal marriage. And so what that means is that the bride would move into the house, into a home that the groom had prepared for them, likely with or adjacent to his father's home. And so in a wedding celebration, part of it is at the bride's house, house of origin with her family of origin, and, part, and it travels. The groom goes to get her, and then they come back together to their new home and continue celebrating there. So this is what has happened, and these attendants are waiting at the groom's place, at what will be their new house for the bridal party's joyous return and the celebration that will follow. But that takes time. I mean, they have to schlep all the way there. And who knows what happens there? You know, there's lots of goodbyes and boohooing and maybe a lot of celebrating, and then they come back. And now, so it takes, you know, they can't give a time of when they'll arrive. They'll be, the party starts at nine, the party starts at six. It's, in this society, on time was defined as being there whenever the guest of honor arrived. So it was pretty fluid, pretty loosey-goosey. And so the attendants continue to wait. And they wait so long that they fall asleep. And then that time comes, that time for which they have been waiting so very long. And they are woken up to find that their torches have gone out. Only half of them have planned for this particular moment. Those who are without find themselves left in the cold and dark of the night. And it seems particularly uncaring and unfair. But then that all depends on how you look at it. We have this temptation to place ourselves in the stories that we hear from Jesus. When you hear this story, with whom do you identify? Those who are prepared or unprepared? I'd like to identify with those who were prepared. Those who planned ahead for the unforeseen delays. Those who were ready. Right? I would like to say I'm that person when you've worked on a group project who did their piece of it and didn't have to then do everyone else's as well or take whatever mark the group got. I'm that person who went to that football game, the Riders and the Stampeders, and was walking across the bridge over Crowchild Trail, like so bundled up I could barely walk. (laughs) I had a long sleeve shirt, a sweater, a jacket, another jacket, a jersey, 
a toque, a scarf, snow pants, giant boots, and I'm walking beside all these people that have like sneakers and short pants and a bunny hug or a hoodie, and I was, oh my goodness, I've overdressed. (laughs) And then it rained, and it was cold and miserable, and I was ready. I'd like to be that person who can say, you know what? A failure to plan on your part does not constitute an emergency on my part. And yet, there is guilt for me in that. It doesn't seem quite right. Because I also identify with feeling unprepared, with being caught off guard, having a fitful sleep while worrying about what is to come. I I am an organized person, and yet three separate times, I have shown up at the airport without the proper identification to board a plane. (laughs) Three times. Like, once? Okay. Twice? Maybe a coincidence. But three times? Like, seriously, what is going on? And I've attempted to make the best of that situation. And I've also had to rely on the goodwill of others to make up what is lacking. I needed someone to come get me so I could go get my ID. I needed to reschedule. And thank goodness the woman doing that didn't charge me for rescheduling. I needed to arrange a different time to be picked up once I finally did arrive. So to see someone else experience being unprepared, even in a parable, is uncomfortable. It makes me uneasy, which I think is kind of the point. To hear this story, to place ourselves in it as the attendants, both prepared and unprepared, certainly gives us something to chew on, something to question, something to learn from. As Jake Owensby puts it, parables are meant to be unsettling stories. Stories that invite us to rethink some of our basic assumptions. So it is with this parable that Jesus is telling us that we need to wake up, to listen, to take this seriously. And while we're on the topic of Jesus, I think that it might be that my biggest problem with this parable might actually be him. That's right. I'll say it. I've got a problem with Jesus. (laughs) Not necessarily him personally, but with how we have historically and traditionally interpreted him to be the bridegroom in this story to be the gatekeeper, as if he is the one to say, I do not know you, as if he is the one to close the door on us, leaving us out 
of the great celebration. I don't know about you, but that's not the Christ that I know. That's not the God that I believe in. Time and time again, Jesus has placed himself on the outside. He has identified with the outcast, with all whom society considers the last and the least, including those who are not ready for what the world throws at them, those who do not have the luxury of preparation or time, those just trying to scrape by. Jesus is with them. When we feel as though we are running on empty, he is with us. In this parable, he is encouraging us to plan ahead, to be faithful as much as we can, to be wise, to stay strong, and also to be creative. Because faithfulness requires endurance. Doing the hard work of ensuring justice, peace, and dignity for all. It's not an easy task that we are called to do. And it is in these turbulent times that we are realizing the depth and breadth of the sin of sexual violence that that is a reality for over 50% of our population. We are realizing that domestic violence can and does cause damage to a whole community, to a church. We are realizing, waking up to the fact that people all over the world experience very real threats to their personhood. People of color, people of indigenous ancestry, LGBTQ persons, religious and ethnic minorities, refugees. It's all a lot. And it's hard and exhausting work. And it is and will continue to be a challenge to our faith itself. Because these are situations where thoughts and prayers are not enough. We need to be active in our faith. And we all have faith. But do we have enough for the long haul? And if we don't, what then? Because there are some things we can't borrow, right? I can't borrow your good mental health if I am struggling with anxiety and depression. We can't borrow from someone else's happy marriage if ours is struggling. We can't borrow someone else's experience of the holy, their faith. right? Maybe it's not that those attendants who had oil didn't want to share. Maybe they couldn't. Right? Maybe they, that's not something they could give away. But that doesn't mean that there isn't something there to share. The options that we see 
in this parable seem to be either A, have enough oil and stay, or B, don't have enough and leave, and then eventually be left out. What if this isn't an either-or situation? What if there's option C, and that is to persist? Even if your lamp has gone out, if you have run out of oil and you cannot replenish it at the moment, stay. Those who are with you might not be able to share their oil with you, but their lamps can cast enough light for everyone. Jesus shows us how to do this. He is the one who stayed awake in the garden through the night. He is the one who heard Peter say, I do not know you. He is the one who felt forsaken, who felt his faith failing him on the cross. And he is the one who was raised to new life and the one who is named the light of the world. So when society is saying, my thoughts and prayers are with you, God is saying, I am with you. Jesus became human and walked among us and does still. There's a quote from Adrian Marie Brown that I'd like to share with you. Maybe you've heard it recently. She says, things are not getting worse. They are getting uncovered. We must hold each other tight and continue to pull back the veil. I like it so much, I'm going to repeat it. Things are not getting worse. They are getting uncovered. We must hold each other tight and continue to pull back the veil. And so when we hold each other tight, we share our light with one another. When we pull back that veil, we let in the light of God. We include all those who are excluded. That is our calling. That is our responsibility. That is our privilege. Let us close with this poem by Steve Garnes Holmes. The only barrier between us and heaven is the limit of our love. God comes as the other and asks us to love. And the kingdom comes no sooner than we see her and love her. The second coming has come a million times, and we keep missing it. And yet we will have the opportunity again and again to participate in that second coming. So let us give thanks to God. Amen. Thanks so much for that, Aaron. That was, yeah. Before we sing our our final hymn, church, I just want to confess something, that as a music leader, I'm deeply envious.